This is Neil Erwitz. I'm the Director of External Relations here at the Center for a New American Security, and I'm here today with Phil Carter and Kate Kidder from our Military Veterans and Society program, and they're two of the authors on our new report uh, on women in national security. Thanks for telling us a little bit about it. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Neil. Um, so broadly speaking, why is this an issue for both our national security and for the country at large? So two things. One thing is that women are growing in their representation in undergraduate programs and in elite policy schools, but we're not necessarily seeing them matriculate all the way to the top leadership within the national security sector. Meanwhile, we're faced with a number of challenges that require us to be innovative and uh, face challenges in, in a, a new way and bring different perspectives to the table. And so expanding the, the um, talent pipeline to make sure we're including women um, in the decision-making process is increasingly important. Yeah, that's right. This isn't a women's issue per se. This is about getting the best talent at the right place at the right time to make a difference for national security. We're looking at women in that pipeline because it's a good way to understand the barriers to advancement for all people. But this is really about getting that right person, right place, right time. And so how do we do that in a little more granularity? Well, uh, as we tackle what the actual problem is, uh, you know, we know that it will take time uh, as we see more women in, in national security programs. You know, it takes 30 years to build a career, but we have to figure out how we best retain them in order for them to uh, reach the top levels. So part of that is looking at um, how we get better data on who we're keeping and how we're performing. And another way is thinking through how we include men in the solution um, as whether mentors or advocates within a career path. And a huge issue is systematically uh, mapping the barriers that exist for men and women at various points in their career. There is a significant set of barriers that exist uh, at the midpoint relating to when people have families. There are also barriers that uh, impede further momentum for men and women uh, when they have to move geographically or when they have to take on new responsibilities, things that might conflict with their family life. Understanding these and then building uh, off-ramps and on-ramps that can allow people to maybe take a pause in their careers, they handle those family issues, or uh, juggle those career issues alongside their family is critically important because what is happening right now is we're hemorrhaging people, good people, uh, from our system right at the point where they're becoming incredibly productive and what we need to do is find ways to keep them in. This is disproportionately affecting women right now, but we're also losing a lot of men and we need to figure out how to keep all of our talent in the system thriving. Now, uh, the private sector and particularly some of the quote-unquote innovative companies that you hear about seem to have found ways around that. Is there anything that we can learn from or apply to them? Well, I think, uh, you know, they serve as a real example in that we we are able to track the data on the business side about the different performance that comes from more diverse teams and including more women. So, for example, we know that when leadership teams at a corporation include at least 30 percent women, that they tend to have 15 percent higher profit margins than other firms in their industry. Uh, what makes it difficult in the national security sector is that for a number of reasons, we don't necessarily have comparable data. Uh, we can't prove a counterfactual. We can't figure out how uh, a team would perform if they weren't there. Um, and also just for issues of classification, we may not know where the successes are. But we do know, we do have anecdotal evidence. So, for example, um, the, the 
the team of analysts at the CIA who found Osama bin Laden was an all-female team. And so getting those types of stories out into the narrative are important for um, building the case for why this builds more effective teams and not just that this is a more equal system. And then five years from now, let's say we've made good progress as a country. What does that look like? I think what you'll begin to see is some understanding of what parity should look like in the national security sector. Uh, it's unclear right now whether we should have a given military service or agency be 50-50 or maybe 40-60 or 60-40 men and women. And we ought to have some better sense of that as we remove the barriers and we figure out what natural equilibrium looks like within these agencies uh, where those barriers don't exist. I think the second thing that we'll begin to see, uh, hopefully, is more push for flexibility within the workforce, and that mm -hmm. benefits everyone. So things like lateral entry that allow people to move back and forth between the public and private sector or back and forth between sabbaticals and work will be valuable to all people, uh, both men and women, but will help women a lot, particularly as they uh, balance family issues. And then third, ideally, we'll have a more effective national security bureaucracy if we have the best men and women on the team. I think, too, as we move forward, the, the real mark of success, and it's probably not in five years, but maybe it's in 50 years, where we're not even raising the question, right, where we're not necessarily having to worry about what the gender distribution is, that we know that we have the right people in the right jobs, um, and that we are, and, and that there will be a fair representation across the board. But I don't want to wait 50 years. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Uh, read the report. This is excellent.